Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome into the Friday edition of Scoops with Danny Mac. Our producer is always Colin Surrey. My guest today, one of the greatest hockey players that ever wore the blue sweater, and that is number 44, Chris Pronger. Want to get into the trade that brought him into St. Louis? What Mike Keenan did for his career? What about that blue Stanley Cup run? What did it mean to him? And eventually having a night in which he sees his number 44 raised to the rafters at Enterprise Center. Chris Pronger coming up later in the show. We are jam-packed, and this is going to be a lot of fun. We start this morning, though, with baseball and Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Blake Snell just heard us talking about it. Currently, the Players Association, Major League Baseball, they're trying to work out an agreement to get the players back on the field and do it clearly, safely as possible. Part of this potential agreement that has been leaked is that MLB's reported proposal includes a 50-50 revenue split. So, how does Snell feel about that? Y'all gotta understand, man, for me to go take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pay. Like, bro, it's, yeah, man, I gotta, no, I gotta get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I make is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? Uh, uh, Snell is entering the second year of a $50 million deal. Currently being paid an advance of $286,000 for the first 60 days of the season. So here's the deal, folks. He went to spring training. He's currently done nothing and making a quarter of a million dollars. If the deal stands and they play, he would get paid over $43,000 a day. Former Major Leaguer Nick Swisher appeared on Fox Sports. Even if you do believe that, you just don't say it like that. And I think he was on his Twitch, he was playing his video games, he felt like he was in a comfortable environment, and he just went off. I don't think he thought this was going to get blown up as much as it has. Now, on the other side of things, yes, do you want to play for the love of game? Absolutely, no doubt about it. But then, you know, like, people need to understand, there is a co- the collective bargaining agreement is up this year. There could be a stoppage of play, there could be a strike next year at some point. So right now, there is a major rift between the owners and the players, and I think somebody's going to try and make, make their point heard obviously Blake Snell's the first one to pop off about all this stuff I'm sure you're going to hear some other people's opinions too for myself man this is something we've never done before right we've never been in this situation in our life you cannot be talking about money when 33 or 40 million people don't have jobs right now so I think you can look at it from both sides of the thing obviously I want sports back just like anybody else but I also understand what Blake is saying about how he needs to make sure that they're going to be protected right I mean at the end of the day a lot of people have lost their life because of corona and Blake doesn't want to be the next guy to have that Understood. So how much risk are you, as a player, willing to take? Jeff Passan of ESPN. Greeting Blake Snell is making public what a lot of players are saying behind the scenes. Now, certainly part of this is uh, players' efforts to try and cajole the owners and make them know that 
Hey, money is important to us, and we are willing to potentially miss a season because of it. But listen, we're still in the posturing phase. I've been saying this from the start. This week's going to be ugly. You're going to hear things about money. You're going to get angry because it's millionaires and billionaires fighting. That's just the reality of this situation this early on in the process. The big question is, are they willing, most literally, to put their money where their mouth is? Because if Blake Snell is threatening to sit out if he doesn't get his money and they don't get their money, is he actually going to sit out the season? Are the players actually going to miss a season? I still have a really hard time believing that in the end of the 1,200 guys in the Major League Baseball Players Association, they are willing to throw away a season over a cut of money. Now, there is some truth to what Blake Snell said. There's some truth there. The players are going to take a risk. Well, here's some advice, Blake. Whether you like it or not, you just made yourself the face of the economic battle between the players and the owners. Everybody's hearing it. Everybody just saw what you said. So before you go spouting off, you might want to ask your union brothers if that was a good idea to say. The average American and sports fan doesn't want to hear any of it. Nothing. It was just last Friday that unemployment, the rate in this country, hit 14.7. Oh, by the way, it's rising. And again, you might be right, but you can't express it that way. Never. Ever. You won't win in the court of public opinion. I would assume that the Players Association, I bet they grimaced when they heard some of his comments. And some of the players may have said, he's right, but you can't say it like that publicly. And if they did grimace, they should have. Speaking of the economics of this situation, baseball commissioner Rob Manfred was on CNN and asked about the fallout and what it means for owners if there's no season. The economic effects are devastating, frankly, for the clubs. We're a big business, but we're a seasonal business. And unfortunately, this crisis began at kind of the low point for us in terms of revenue. We hadn't quite started our season yet. And if we don't play a season, the losses for the owners could approach $4 billion. Wow. So if I'm a player, I'm a free agent after this season, you bet I'm concerned. Mookie Betts, Trevor Bauer, or how about that guy Yadier Molina? It may be one of those seasons that you take that one-year deal, hit the market again, see what the economy has done by then. Molina told ESPN's Marley Rivera that he plans to play beyond this season and that if it came to it, he would play somewhere else other than St. Louis, although his preference is to stay right here in the Gateway City, remain a Cardinal. He'll be 39. There's been a lot of mileage on that body, but clearly still very valuable. Rivera was a guest on the Fast Lane yesterday. When we published that story, the news story of Yadi being open to free agency, like you said, he wants to stay in St. Louis. I want to stress this. Sure. He wants to stay in St. Louis. But when he said that he was open to free agency, I got so many texts from so many people from different teams saying, do you believe this to be true? <laughs> Did, did he just say that, or is it true? Because one of the things that is going to happen is that the next free agency, as you guys know, prime catching, it's just, it doesn't even exist anymore. The people that started at the same time as Molina, right? Buster Posey, they're no longer catching, right? Or they're not going to finish their careers as, as great catchers. And Yachty has been so durable. Those young teams, and I'm throwing these names out there, this has nothing to do with teams that texted me. So I want to be, you know, very clear. That I, these, these are not people who told me. But if you think about a team like the New York Mets with a really young rotation, right? If you think about these teams, they could really use some help. You know, someone like the Washington Nationals who have this, like, you know, even though they just won the World Series, you know, they did not do it with elite catching. 
So when you think what Yeti can contribute to a franchise, I do think that there's going to be a prime number for his services. My guess, he stays a Cardinal. And Colin, every night, it'll be a Yachty giveaway. Fan base loves Yachty, so it's Yachty hat night, Yachty jersey, Yachty bobblehead, Yachty bat, Yachty kids jersey. You get the idea. He's not only a great player, but he makes you want to go to the ballpark, watch him. He's legendary. He's marketable commodity for, uh, for the club. And oh, by the way, he wins. He wins, and he's ingrained in the culture of St. Louis. Yeah. St. Louisans identify with the work ethic and what Yadier Molina represents, and they could not have more respect for him. On to the Rams. Stan Kroenke needs more financing for his stadium, and it's a price tag that keeps on rising. Dan Kaplan of The Athletic reported that Kroenke has requested an extra $500 million in additional stadium financing. The request is on top of the $400 million the Rams already borrowed from the league's stadium lending program. Remember in January of 2016, the original price, $2.2 billion. And now it's $4 billion higher than that. That's with a B, as in boy. Kaplan was a guest of Bernie and Michelle this morning. This really has been the perfect storm for Stan Kroenke. First, the stadium was supposed to open last year in Southern California, rainy season, delayed construction. Now we have the pandemic. You have the you have the situation with the Chargers. It, it, it's certainly not going according to plan. Isn't that a shame for Stan? Boy, it, your heart just, it, it, you, you feel for him. You really do. This is turning into a nightmare for the league in Kroenke, and they can spin it any way they want, but it's a nightmare. But the hypocrisy of the NFL is now on full display. And believe me, the St. Louis lawyers in the lawsuit against the Rams are taking notice. Remember when St. Louis asked for additional money for the proposed downtown stadium? Roger Goodell said that those types of asks are fundamentally inconsistent with the NFL's program of stadium financing. Again... The Rams are now asking for what would be an additional $900 million total. There's probably no fans in the seats this fall. There's no concerts, no shows, and not nearly the return on investment he wanted when he left St. Louis and torched the town on the way out. The hypocrisy of this league is on full display. Now, they're literally paying for it, and it couldn't happen to a better guy. We are the home of St. Louis Blues Hockey, and coming up, I'll visit with one of the greatest players in the history of the game and the St. Louis Blues. Pronger brought it back in. Here's Jim Campbell. Campbell in front. Pronger scores! Chris Pronger, power play goal, 2-0 Blues! And here he comes against Cam Ward. Score! Chris Pronger, a penalty shot goal. of the St. Louis Blues and Mr. Tom Stillman for all you've done for the St. Louis Blues and beyond. It's honor for me to tell you that sometime next season we are going to retire your number 44 to the left. Chris Pronger coming up next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. So I get asked all the time about my unbelievable run with the St. Louis Blues as an intermission host and pregame show host. And people ask me, who's the best player you covered? And I say, without question, the best, meanest, nastiest player I saw 
Oh, you can hear the laugh. He's one Chris Pronger. <laughs> yes. Prongs. Thank you for that, Dan. That's a wonderful introduction. Well, you, you uh, by the way, you also went to the Hall of Fame, so I should have mixed that part in there, too. But you had a nasty disposition. That's okay, Prongs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's actually, uh, for for hockey, that's actually a good thing. It is a good thing. Hey, man, how you doing? How's the family? Are you healthy? Everybody doing well? Oh, I'm doing great. Everybody's uh, enjoying online schooling and get you know less homework and all that good stuff so it's <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting right now but uh uh we are uh, we're doing well yeah we're surviving everything and doing our social distancing and doing all the rest of that stuff but uh you know, I think everybody will be excited when they can actually get out of the house and do something. Absolutely. You know, i got to ask you, I've always wanted to ask you a bunch of things I'm going to ask you today. When I would ask you to do a blues intermission um, interview with me, did you ever want to just punch me or throw me, like, over the boards <laughs> on the ice? I'm just curious. No, I knew it was going to be very professionally done, so... Uh... <laughs> That's why I wanted you on, Prongs. I mean, you yes, know, yes, I, I had yes. to get you like this. Um, for yes. fans that don't know, what what are you technically doing in the game of hockey in terms of your role, for those that don't know? I am a senior advisor to the general manager and president of hockey operations with the Florida Panthers. Do you enjoy it? Is it a road down to being a GM? What, what do you want to do with it? Yeah, uh, I'm enjoying it. You know, it's... Uh, you know, it, it's it's obviously much different than when you don't you don't have a say. You you have an opinion, and I'm like Dale's little bird in his ear, <laughs> and, uh, and like you that. know, obviously know a lot of people in the game and played with a lot of players and against a lot of players. So I uh, certainly have a lot of contacts throughout the the league and obviously in the junior and college and whatnot. So um, you know, I think. We'll say recently retired, but uh, it's been a while since I played in the league and uh, obviously worked at the NHL front office and Department of Player Safety. So I have, a, I think, a unique insight into uh, into the game and and have obviously kept my eye on uh, on the status of the game, players, trends, etc. that uh, I think will give me a unique ability to uh, to give him uh, what I may or may not think of whether it be certain players, trades, signings, et cetera, that, that will uh, help us hopefully cultivate a winning roster and uh, a Stanley Cup championship. Chris Pronger, my guest, the the Hall of Famer. Um, I want to go back to when Mike Keenan made the deal for you and you're traded for a popular player. As you reflect on it now, do you sit there and say, I'm thankful to Mike, he was tough on me, put me in a bad spot? How do you now assess all these years later what you went through? It was tough. How do you assess it now as you reflect back? Yeah, I, you know, I think, I think one of the things that, you know, I think he needed to do, but may not have gotten us off on the right foot with respect to the, the fan base, et cetera, was sending me, you know, calling me out in the media and sending me to the bike and telling me I was out of shape and wasn't prepared and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I needed it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but perhaps maybe best to to do that behind closed doors, knowing that uh, all of St. Louis already hated me because of the <laughs> trade <laughs> and who I was traded for and and the love that the fan base had for Shani and um, you know may, maybe do it behind closed doors. But uh, uh, you know I I think in the end when when you look back on things and and how you developed and and how that first year went, I probably wouldn't have changed it 
for anything in the world, the way, you know, him calling me out and, and then me having to respond and, you know, getting booed for a good part of the season and ultimately having to, you know, really just dig deep and, and figure out, you know, you're at that fork of the road. Are you going to, are you going to quit and go left? Or are you going to, you know, persevere and, and push through it and, and take, take the, the road to the right. And, um, you know, it's certainly uh, something that I look back on sometimes and, and, you know, you play the what if game, but, um, it, it's, uh, having gone through all those tough times, it, it makes the good times that much sweeter. And, uh, as we always say, if it was easy, everybody would be able to do it. And, and certainly, uh, Having gone through that, not everybody could. Absolutely. I thought you handled it beautifully, and you turned into an incredible player. And you had so much international competition with Team Canada, whether it was Olympics, World Cup, that kind of thing. And you were on a team with Brandon uh, Brendan Shanahan. Do you guys ever talk about that and what you went through in the trade? <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, you know what? No. No, really? We never did. Uh, we talked. We actually talked about Hartford more than anything. Is that because right? Because he immediately asked for a trade out of there, <laughs> which is how we wound up in Detroit. So, um, well, Kelly know, Chase called were, it Shawshank. So you know, yes, you know, yes, affectionately so, Shawshank. I think uh, you know, having seen you know what happened, what transpired once he got there, uh, I think the writing was on the wall with with Hartford as, as a destination <laughs> for the NHL. And then obviously the team moved to Raleigh and has had their uh, ups and downs there. But, um, you know, I think when you look at that Olympics and, and when we played together, there, there's a little bit of interaction, you know, a lot of, you know, as a forward, I'm, I'm not really talking to the forwards that much. We're usually in defensive meetings we're in. So, you know, we're hanging around, uh, you know, the, the quad for, uh, the Olympic ceremonies and, you know, the, the the Olympic room for Team Canada and stuff like that. Um, but that year in Nagano, there was a lot of, uh, you know, I was pretty young and, you know, I didn't really leave the the Olympic Village very often and some of the guys had uh, family and friends over. So uh, there wasn't a lot of intermingling for me. I was kind of uh, deer in the headlights for a lot of it, but uh, uh, certainly, uh, you know, Rubbed elbows with some of the game's greats, which which was uh, pretty special, and I got a lot. I learned an awful lot from that. So, with everything you went through in St. Louis, now fast forward, and they tell you number forty four is going to be retired. It'll never be worn again by anybody who puts on that blue sweater. What what does that mean to Chris Pronger? Well, it's funny how things come full circle. Um, you know, it's it's exciting and and something that uh, I'm quite proud of. And, and as we talked about earlier. When, when you're able to overcome the adversity that I faced early in my career in Hartford and then ultimately here, uh, you're able to, to appreciate those those finer moments. And and what finer moment is there than, than having your number retired and, and up in the rafters forever with, with the likes of uh, Blues greats like Al, Bernie, uh, Holly, and, and Barkley, and Bobby. And, um, you know, it, it's special and, and something that uh, – um, you know, I know all, uh, we don't know when it's going to happen, but, uh, you get a little speechless at times thinking about what, what you want to say, who you want to thank. And, um, you know, you, every once in a while, things will kind of run through my head. I had to make sure I take a note and say, Oh, I don't forget this person, that person. But, uh, uh, I, I don't want to drag it out any longer than it needs to be. But, uh, I think the moment you start seeing it, uh, 
rise up to the rafters. So it'll be a, a very proud moment and something that uh, uh, my wife and kids and my parents and everybody, uh, my brother and everybody will be uh, as excited, if not more, than I am. Your, your wife, uh, you met her here in St. Louis. Your kids born and raised here, uh, really good athletes. But yet you didn't finish your career here. And there was obviously the transition with ownership and all kinds of things going on at that time. As you reflect, does it frustrate you you didn't finish your career in St. Louis? Or are you just kind of like, well, hey, that's just the way it went. No big deal. No, I think, you know what, I I wouldn't change it uh, for anything. Uh, you know, I think as we talked about, adversity and, and change sometimes is good. Uh, I had 10 years here in St. Louis, and and sometimes you need a new challenge. While we weren't able to win, um, you know, I think with, with new ownership coming in and, and uh, you know, new coaching staff and new president and, you know, you keep going on down that list, uh, you know, would they have wanted them to trade me? Probably not, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. And I think once once I did leave, I was able to kind of step out of the shadow of all oh, the kid that was traded for Shanny and, you know, everybody looking at me as that brash 22, 23-year-old kid when I was 30, 31. And uh, sometimes when you get a fresh start like that, you're able to really uh, get out from underneath, the, whether it's your reputation or, or what have you, and you're able to kind of forge ahead and coming out of that lockout with the game changing and the game opening up, everybody thought I was going to be a dinosaur. And I would argue that my game only got better yeah. under the new rules. And, and uh you know, so I think that kind of, uh, you know, surprised a lot of people and, and weren't really sure how uh, how those rules were going to affect me. I look back at the 96 team when you acquired Gretzky and lost on the Iserman shot. And I think about the President's Trophy team that was so good, too. You guys were so close, Prongs, to, to winning the Cup. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And yet the Blues win it last year. As you reflect on the Blues times... How close do you think you really were to winning the cup? I thought you were close. What did you guys think? Yeah, no, I th- I think we were close. I, I I do. You know, I think you know. Again, a lot of it is timing. A lot of it is injuries. A lot of it is is hot goaltending. A lot of you know. There's so many things that go into it, um, especially for teams that are trying to win their first. You know, it, you know. Ultimately, Detroit got through in '97. Uh, Colorado in '95. Uh, the Rangers, 50, you know, like there's so when you look back, us in 07 and Anaheim, when you look back on some of these teams and you, and you look at what transpired and what helped you win, there are so many elements that go into it. Everything has to be going right a lot of the time. And that's why it's the hardest trophy in sports to win. Two months of a long, arduous grind, uh, blood, sweat, and tears with your guys. And the slightest mistake can affect the momentum and outcome of a series and of a season, really. And, uh, you know, I think the one year we felt that when Bergey threw the puck in, oh, in, our, in, in his own net in San Jose. I mean, there's just sometimes things happen and, and you're able to overcome certain adversity and other times you just, it, it, it just beats you down and, and you're un- unable to overcome it. But, uh, uh, there, you know, there's a number of teams where I felt like we had a really good chance. And, uh, you know, either we were just missing that small piece, either we were missing timely saves, timely goals, uh, you know. And, and, you know, there are some times where we were just beat. And, you know, the other team's better than you. And, and that, 
so be it. I mean, it happens. <laughs> I, I'm, there's other good teams out there, too. Oh, yeah, there's some pretty good guys out there. I yeah. get it. Um, yeah. The Blues run last year, and so you're working for a different team, but yet your family's from here. Uh, you're in many ways kind of raised here in St. Louis, as you mentioned, kind of a brash kid. Then you grow up into an adult and things happen. You become a Hall of Famer. Um, what were your emotions, if at all any, going to those games at Enterprise Center, watching the Blues and then just seeing the fan base in the city reaction uh, to what happened with that Blues run? Not sure if you had many emotions or what came to your mind. I'm just curious what you thought. Yeah, you know what? I was I was excited for uh, you know the fan base, the organization, uh, Chief Craig Berube, who was my coach in Philadelphia. Um, um, you know the guys and, and what they went through throughout the course of that season, and, and the moxie they had to show to to battle back, and and obviously the magical run that that uh, Bennington went on, and. You know, as we talked about, so many things have to happen. But, you know, I was excited for the fan base, first and foremost. And 50 long years of, uh, oh man, you know, 47, I think, to get back to the dance. And then 50 years of, of winning one and uh, since the inception of the team. So, so I think when you look at all of, all of all that they've gone through over those 50, 52 years now, 53 years, and you look at, exactly what has transpired with this organization the ups and downs the heartaches all that stuff uh for for that season and the way that team came from the back of the pack <laughs> oh, yeah. to win it all uh was was crazy and, and something that uh um we'll certainly uh um we'll certainly figure out what uh, uh how how often and how quickly they can respond and re rebound when we do ultimately get back and to see if they can repeat, but uh, uh, we might be a long ways off from that just yet. I'm curious, Chris, and and people ask me, you know, who are the best players you, you've been around in any sport that you've covered, and you're at the top of the list. So you've accomplished so much in your career, internationally, Team Canada, what you did in the NHL, MVP, Norris Trophy, Stanley Cup winner. What What are you most proud of? You know, it might be something of you know, dealing with the injuries or how you turned into a man, whatever the case may be for Chris Pronger, what is it? What are you most proud of as you reflect on your career? Um, I think a couple things. I mean, obviously now uh, having my number retired, but I think the hall, being inducted into the Hall of Fame and, you know, it takes such a, a body of work and uh, excellence to, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, I think first and foremost to, to be able to, to say that I'm a part of that esteemed group, which is, I think, 285 or something like 290 people uh, is is something to be proud of. You know, and also I think winning the Stanley Cup in Anaheim with that group in 07 was uh, was spectacular. From from the outset, having just lost game seven in, in Carolina when I was with Edmonton to getting traded there, I don't know, two or three weeks later, from the outset of the moment I was traded there, to when I met with the coach staff, to when I met the players, the the only words on anybody's mind was Stanley Cup. That's it. the The whole purpose of the season was to win the Stanley Cup, and anything less was going to be a disastrous outcome. Mm -hmm. And when you have everybody buying in and everybody on the same page and everybody pushing towards that same goal, you got anybody who is not a part of that, they're gone. Anybody who 
who doesn't want to buy in, they're gone. And everybody that we picked up throughout the course of the season, George Peros, Brad May, all these different players, uh, you know, they came into the group and immediately realized that it was special and that you needed to be focused on our goal. It's not my goal. It's not Scotty's goal. It's not Taylor's goal. It's not Brian Burke's goal. It's our goal. And and we were such a close knit group, and and everybody, I mean, it, it's it's crazy to think back. Everybody to a man. When you, we look back on, you know, we just had a cup watching party a couple weeks ago uh, when they were showing it on uh, TV. That you look at all the different players that that have played games for us in the finals and throughout the course of the playoffs. I mean, we're talking in the 30s. You know, we had guys going down left and right, and it was the next man up. And we had guys that played in the minors all year. I gotta be honest with you, I didn't even know their names. <laughs> 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 and they they were coming in to play games. You know, like a lot of times you get these black aces, and they're just there having a good time, enjoying the Stanley Cup and playoffs, and you know they're they're keeping in decent shape, practicing whatever, and they're having a good time. Well, I mean, we went in like six, seven, eight deep into the black aces where they were probably like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm going to be playing. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, it was a, a, a great group and those guys came in seamlessly and, and played valuable minutes in key situations. And, you know, it's a testament to them and their, uh, professionalism. And, and, and that's the type of team we had. And, and it was, it was, I was so proud to be a part of it. And, and the fact that we were able to seal the deal and win, uh, on home home soil and, and on home ice and at the Honda Center was uh, was spectacular and just awesome. Final question: You went through just a horrific injury at the end of your career, which then could have really affected your everyday life, but yet you battled through that. How proud of you uh, of yourself are you with that? That you were able to get through that, which I know personally was very very tough on you and your family. It's just it's brutal what you went through, but you, you did it. I mean, how how proud of yourself are you that you got through it? And here you are today and doing great things. Yeah, you know what it uh, you know it takes it takes a lot of people uh, behind you and and a lot of support. Um, so much goes into, you know, recovering from injuries, uh, in professional sport, let alone, uh, life altering, altering injuries, like, like I was forced to persevere through. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time and, and a lot of patience on your kid's part, your wife's part, uh, and, and on my part. And, you know, you're not going to see gains and, and improvement right out of the gate. You're, it's going to take time. It's going to, it's a process. And, slowly working my eyes back and, and working on my brain and getting things to kind of get cohesive and, and come together again was, uh, you know, probably a year and a half of hard work and, and really grinding on uh, trying to get my eyes to refocus and, and bringing them back together again. And, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, eating, eating healthier and, and trying to, uh, you know, not balloon up and not, uh, <laughs> Not do what a lot of guys do when they get concussions or career-ending injuries like that. They balloon up because they stop eating properly, and and that adversely affects you as well. So really trying to adhere to uh, a strict uh, nutritional plan, and 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 obviously trying to work out a little bit and maintain my physical uh, conditioning, and and obviously having gotten 14 surgeries over the course of my career, there are a few aches and pains. So <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I need. I need to keep the joints loose because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of creaking and uh, uh, a lot of aches. 
I, on this body. I, I'm so happy that they are retiring your number. I'm going to be there that night. I can't wait to see it. I'm so happy for you. And uh, as I said, you're one of the greatest players I've ever been around and one of the best people. And I can't thank you enough for doing this, Prongs. And stay safe, stay healthy, and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Take care, bud. That is one of my all-time favorites, Chris Pronger. The text line, Air Comfort Service text line is wide open, 65780. The celebrity line, that's Brown and Crouppen. That's what Chris Pronger was on. And send me a mic drop as well, the Rhino Shield mic drop. Man, that was fun. Talking hockey, talking retirement of number 44 with one of the greats, Chris Pronger on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. It is 1040 here in St. Louis. Hubbard Radio's deserving delivery saying thank you to those helping care for our community. Today's very deserving delivery is going to the first responders working at O'Fallon, Missouri Police and Fire Department. Awesome staff enjoying 100 meals today delivered by Potbelly Sandwich Shop. And those meals are courtesy of Hubbard and Family Golf and Learning Center. Thank you, Family Golf and Learning Center. We got a lot of texts about Chris Pronger. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, that interview. He's one of my favorite guys to ever be around in terms of sports and cover. He was great, just great to deal with, and a lot of fun from the 573. Love the show. Love your comments on Snell. Do you think the Players Association is upset with what he said? Well, I I think what you're going to have is that a lot of players are going to come out and say, I agree with what the premise is of his message. And by the way, me, myself, I agree, too, with what he's saying. Players are already taking pay cuts. However, I disagree in how it was delivered. Right now, in this this climate, this uh, economy, people don't want to hear it. People don't want to hear about money. And, and that's what we're going to hear a lot about here in the next, you know, probably 10 to 14 days as baseball tries to get an agreement. So understand, with what he's saying about the health and safety of players, I'm with it 100%. I get it. But again, how you delivered that message, and he probably thought it wasn't going to go anywhere, but it did. And so that's where fans are going to be upset and when they hear that from Ian Snell. So the message, a lot of good points. Players probably are thinking the same thing. However, it can't be delivered that way. And if I'm the Players Association, I'm probably telling all my players today, at least I would, be quiet, don't say anything, shut up. And if anybody says anything, it's going to come from our executive committee. From the 636, Prongs made it look so easy. Come to think of it, isn't that what all the greats have in common? Great point. He was able to get angles on guys. He had the long stride. He had the long reach with his stick. I was talking about it with uh, Randy and Michelle. The fact was he could stay on the ice so much he knew how to conserve. And, And sometimes you'd watch him glide. And you're thinking, well, is the max effort there? Hell yeah, it was there. He just knew exactly how to be in the right position, where the puck was going to go. You know, Gretzky always talked about knowing where the puck was going to be instead of reacting to where it was. And that's a little bit of what Chris Pronger, I think, did that, too. Love the Pronger interview. Bergey throwing the puck in the net, though, was very tough on me, Danny Mac. <laughs> You're not the only one. You're not the only one. I was thinking, too, the the Eisenman goal when Pronger was with that team, as we talked about. Bergevin throwing the puck in his own net. That was in game one or two at uh, Enterprise Center. And I think the Owen Nolan goal for mid-ice, that was hard to watch. 
you know, just put it right on goal. Should have been saved. Should have been kicked to the corner. Um, and all of a sudden, you thought this maybe is not their year. From the six three six, absolutely loving the show. Thank you very much. Saw Pronger at the airport. Couldn't believe how big he was. So I'm getting a kick out of his giggles. I would never have thought his laughter would do uh, make would sound like that. It's so funny. Chris Pronger, when you're a fan and you're watching the game, you are watching one of the meanest, nastiest dudes on the ice. But if you knew him off the ice, he was awesome. He's laughing. He's smiling. He's funny. He's engaging. Um, and those are the kind of things that I think of with Chris Pronger. And I built a relationship with him, having done the blues for a number of years. And he's right in his heyday. And so getting to know him off the ice and how funny he is, too. He's very quick-witted, gives people a lot of good-natured trouble, which happens in sports, the quote-unquote locker room humor. He's at the top of the list, man, so you better have a thick skin. He was a lot of fun. 314, Danny Mack, great addition to 101. Thank you. What is the biggest hurdle for MLB's return? Well, number one, I, I think the number one thing is testing. You know, making sure that everybody is safe and healthy. And it's not only the players, uh, but it's got to be those associated with the team. So let's just say you've got uh, 50 guys in this proposal. So the taxi squad, your 26-man roster, which is expanded, it looks like maybe to 30 game by game. So that's what, 1,500 people there, just player-wise. And then you have your traveling party. You've got uh, some of those that are in the medical team. You've got your coaches. you got your managers. We haven't talked about them. So you get the idea. The the, the bodies, the people start adding up of all the people you have to test. So I think that's number one. And number two, what we're going to see is the money. It's going to come down to some money here and give and take on both sides. I know people don't want to hear it. I don't like to hear it. And here's my take on this, too. When players get the kind of money they get, I have no problem. None. If you want to pay Garrett Cole 360 or $330 million, whatever it was, fine. He's worth it. Somebody believes you're worth it. That's what the country we live in. Go get it. I'm, I'm all for it. But again, going back to Ian Snell, just how he presented his case and what he was saying about that, eh, it's not going to fly with the public. Which sport do you think will return first? And that's from the 314. Also love the Pronger interview. Um, my guess will be baseball, but it's going to take one of these sports to say, let's go. We're doing it. And then you follow... Also, what's happening with Germany this weekend and soccer returning. You have NASCAR returning. You have a charity golf match. And so there's going to be a sense, maybe a feeling of normalcy. And I think more and more people are saying, okay, let's go. Let's try. We're going to try to make it work. We have a Rhino Shield mic drop. This is Joshua. Danny boy. Yeah. And I already see you get increasingly comfortable in that seat. What's up, dog? content coming, my man. All right, uh, real quick, two things. One, dog. you have to get Klaibs to come on and christen the show. You just have to. Okay. And then uh, two, I saw an STL today where St. Louis FC will start small practice, uh, small group practice. What, what do you think the 2020 USL season could play out like? Just like I said before, I think they're going to take the proper precautions. I think what you're going to see is them take a page out of MLS, which is having... I think it's about four players kind of doing individual work socially distanced but they're they're not that far away from coming back they're going to try to get it all down in orlando and play their games i do think stlfc will do that and as it pertains to youth sports and the gallagher program we had brad davis who just got brought back in we had him on the other day 
you know, at some point, I think you'll maybe see some of these kids doing the same thing. Get them out of the house. Get them going to the soccer park. Kick the ball around. Work on individual skills. Those kind of things. And moving forward as we are hopefully safe and and it's properly done. But again, it's got to be safe for players. Number one, health first and foremost. We've got the crossover. And that is next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time check is 10.50 here in St. Louis. And this is the crossover with Ribs and BK. And so, Ribs, uh, BK, wait a minute. Colin, they're not here. (laughs) That's an empty seat right there. And that's an empty seat over there. Dan, so there's no crossover, I guess. I think they've gotten so used to us trying to cram as much as we possibly <laughs> can into this single hour that yeah. our boys are just like, hey, look, when we get to the top of the hour, we'll be crossing it over then, and then we'll make it into our show. So maybe it'll be a little bit of an adjustment period here for them as we try to get things back on clock and get this one-hour meat sandwich together. So they're just hanging out out there, and we're in the crossover, and they're having a nice conversation amongst themselves. So I go back to the text line at 314. Danny Mac, awesome show on 101. Love it. MLB needs to protect the lifer fan and not try and change rules to draw casual fans. DH killing MLB. Hashtag won't be watching. Well, I hate to tell you, the DH is coming. The universal DH is coming one way or another, and it's going to provide a lot of big-paying jobs for the players' union. That's number one. And I also think with a lack of offense, just looking at it from a baseball perspective, um, we need offense, and that will provide it, you would hope. Maybe change the strike zone. That's something else. BK, where have you been? I, I apologize. We were having a uh, heated discussion in the in the hallways, Dan. I, I do want to get in on this with you with the designated hitter. You've called interleague games where yeah. you go over to the AL parks. Do you think it's as big of a change as most of our listening audience would lead, lead you to believe right now? Yes. I, I think okay. what happens is, too, I think some of the National League owners, when they look at the head-to-head, and it's clear over the years, the National League teams are getting beat up by the American League teams, and a lot of people point to the fact that, well, they're used to having a DH, meaning they paid for J.D. Martinez. You know, they paid for David Ortiz. They they invested in that position in the lineup, and that position in the lineup has really paid dividends. And this is no disrespect to um, any of the players the Cardinals have or any National League team. But Tommy Edmond is not a DH. You know, Carpenter might be a DH, but, you know, you're talking about guys that are two-way players, and sometimes you pay for a little bit of the two-way instead of just the one-way. And so that's why I do think there's a difference in the two, and, and, and it does show itself, I think, in those head-to-head matchups. I should have asked the question more clearly. I, I meant when we're watching the games, oh, okay. do you think it will impact what we are actually viewing as much as some people would lead you to believe? Yeah, it's a I great, don't. I don't either. I think it's a great question, and I do think that, that BK, that... Fans kind of adjust, right? I mean, if there's rule changes, we had a ton in hockey, and all of a sudden you're watching, as Pronger said in the, in the interview, when he came out of the lockout and the rules had changed, he said, I became a better player, and most people thought I might be a dinosaur. I think that's how it is with fans. I think if you change it, and after you watch it a little bit, eh, you just kind of get used to it. You may not like it. Some of the strategy may not be a part of it, although Jim Leland told you guys it was great the other day, saying there is a lot of strategy with it. So I do see it both ways, but, um, you know, I, I just look at it this way. It's coming whether I like it or not, and I don't. I'd rather see 
pitchers hit, and I know I might be in the minority with certain fan bases, but um, again, I, I'm willing to just roll with it. It's fine. I like the DH. Yeah, I, I think I, do. I, I mean, think I'm the casual of, fan does. I, you know, I, I like the, the aspect of I, I can respect rather the aspect of the pitcher hitting and the traditionalist of the game and the strategies that go with it. But at the end of the day, I'm tired of watching them. You know, get up there and the pitchers try to lay down a bunt or they're trying, and it's like almost a sacrificial out at times. It's like, no, you know what? You got some momentum here in the bottom of your batting order. And if you want to slide your DH in there and you create more offense, like you said, I'm a casual fan. I'm not a baseball purist. And that's why means. I think they do, they want to do it. Um, How about so they're listening to me? Yeah. Of I do. Course. I think it can actually positively impact the Cardinals, maybe more so than any other team in the National League, too. What are the what are the Cardinals known for? They're starting pitching, right? They're they're one of the best teams in all of baseball. I thought you were going to say hitting. I was like, uh, wait a minute, no, I wouldn't go that route. Watch it's, yourself. It's <laughs> they're starting pitching, and if you have the ability for these guys to go deeper into games, that helps them. If you have Jack Flaherty, and instead of having to take him out because you, you got a big moment coming up in the the bottom of the sixth. Keep Jack Flaherty out there for the seventh. Now he gets to go extended into games. Well, this that's could part be of the strategy. That's good that is definitely, yeah, part of the strategy, unquestionably. I mean, you think about it. If you're Mike Schilt and you do have a guy that's kind of on fumes, and you're thinking, well, he's coming up. Do I get him out now? A lot of it depends too on who that guy is on the mound. So if it's Flaherty, that's one thing. As opposed to maybe your number five in your rotation, and also who's available in your bullpen. You know, that's part of it, too. And what are the matchups coming up that you have to face, lefty-righty? Or there might be a history with a guy that he owns that pitcher or vice versa. So those are things to think about, too. I'm curious, Ribs, did you hear Prongs on the air? I heard a little bit of it, yeah, on the way in. What do you th- give me just a quick story about Chris Pronger that comes to mind for you. Wow, there's a lot. Because Prongs and I came in the league together. Right. And uh, we lived together for a while. And we had some good Those times. Those are the best stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it kind of was weird at first because Prongs came into town and he wasn't very well liked, as you know. Uh, that's an understatement. Understatement, yeah. right? The Brendan Shanahan leaving for Chris Pronger was almost like World War Three here right. in St. Louis. And so everywhere he went, people would chirp him. They weren't real happy about it. So we ended up living together. And, you know, I, li- I like to get out, enjoy myself there sure. from time to time. So Prongs just kind of jumped in the sidecar, and we started going out and having some fun and relaxing, and, and his game was improving all the time. Yeah. You know, he was this physical specimen out there, and the ability to skate and pass and think the game the way he did, especially with his size. And then another guy, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, we talk about Michael Jordan, obviously a league of his own, but Prongs used to practice hard. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no days off. And, you know, I was... Most of the time, it was his partner or on the D with him somewhere. But forwards in practice, like they'd get the cross check in the ribs, they'd get the <laughs> spear, they'd get the little slash across the hands. Love and it. that was prongs. He didn't like it. So get off the ice. Goodbye. I don't need you. He was amazing. Just an amazing player. BK, what do you have coming up on the show? So, coming up at 11 30, we got Buster Olney. I'm very excited to have him on the show to talk about everything that's going on in baseball right now. So, Buster Olney at 11 30. At 12 30, David Sampson, the former president of the Marlins. I got a kick out of him. About negotiating, yeah, he's he's fun to listen to. He's an interesting character, to yes, say he the is. Least, so he'll be fun. BK Ribs, have a great weekend, have a great show, Colin. Awesome job as always. I'm Dan McLaughlin. We'll talk to you on Monday at ten on Scoops with Danny Mac. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.